Hello and welcome to episode 48 of Sensational She Geek live from Yancey Street. Today is Tuesday the 18th of January and this episode is a day late because I wanted to wait and make sure I got to watch the Moon Knight trailer and include all of that information in this podcast as well. It premiered last night uh, during some football game and it was pretty late by the time that it hit online. We were all able to see it from home. Um... So I just went ahead and waited until I could do a whole section covering what we see in the trailer, getting us all pumped up for the show, uh, and that is in this episode. So we'll make sure we go over that. The other reason that this episode is a little bit later than it normally would be was because I spent all of yesterday recording and posting my Best of Comics 2021 wrap-up list, um, which is another podcast episode that I have posted main. It's posted only to my patrons right now. Um, if you would like to go on to my Patreon and, and subscribe, that is, uh, you can just find it under Sensational She Geek. And it's exclusive to patrons until Friday to make sure that they have some kind of incentive for sticking around. That being said, it's completely voluntary. I'm never going to chase you down and make and ask you why you, you stopped paying or anything like that. Um, that'd be ridiculous. But it is there available to patrons and it will be available to everyone else on Friday. So without further ado, let's go ahead and get started with today's episode. For the news, which is where we're going to start things off, we have a lot of rumors. It is rumor town once again, and we're going to, we're going to round up all of the different rumors and things that we have uh, and just do a, do a straight list rundown of what we've got. Uh, after that, we have the comic book picks, which were comics that came out January 11th and 12th. There is a good amount of stuff that I was really excited about, but I'm going to be mainly covering uh, Death of Doctor Strange, the Bloodstone one-shot, um, talking a lot about Elsa Bloodstone and her family, and there was also a good deal of indie stories that I want to make sure I talk about, as well as the finale of Marauders. Uh, then we do have a pull list for the coming week, which is actually today the 18th and tomorrow the 19th. Fun fact, it is my birthday tomorrow. Go me. Uh, so we've got some things we're going to mention through there. A good deal of number ones and a good deal of things that I am personally very excited for. And then, of course, we are going to be discussing Book of Boba Fett, Episode 3, which was titled The Streets of Mos Espa. We have all of the different fun facts and Easter eggs, and there's a whole episode breakdown. We'll go over the whole thing and explain as much as I can uh, things that I think people had either issues with or questions about regarding that episode. And then we'll wrap up this podcast today talking, like I said, about the Moon Knight trailer. It premiered last night, and since it was pretty late in time that it got onto YouTube, I just decided to wait to record the podcast today to make sure it got its, um, got itself covered really well. So that's what today's episode looks like. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and uh, get things started, but first, as usual, I have to go over my regular info. Um, if you are looking to find me online, you can find me on Instagram, the easiest. My username is Anna with the comics. My Twitter is Savage She Geek. I really don't update it as often as I probably should. And my website is sensationalshegeek.weebly.com. It does have highlights on the front page about Madeline Pryor, the Goblin Queen, Ileana Rasputin, aka Magic, and Clea, who is the new Sorcerer Supreme come March 2022. And the information you want to know about those ladies, I have 
a plethora of it there, and it's all linked on the homepage of my site. I have my pod notes for reading the podcast instead of listening for anybody who just would prefer to spend their time that way or for anyone who is hearing impaired. And I have links to everywhere that you can listen to the podcast, which is most podcast hosting apps, including YouTube, where I also post action figure review videos. My recent videos include the 2020 HasLab Sentinel, the Marvel Legends Tigra Greer Grant, and the Shadow Meow Schools from Fortnite. But I don't play Fortnite, so don't expect much uh, besides just having a lot of fun with a little black cat figure. Uh, and plus, I did a whole tour of our toy collection under Blacklight. I, we've recently um, moved slightly. <laughs> That's a long story. Uh, but I need to do another video showing our collection, what it what it's set up as now. I've also done a video covering Captain Carter, who is one of my top figures of 2021. And my latest upload is a comparison between the Marvel Legends Psylocke Quanon figure and the imported Moffix version, which was released just recently. So you can check that out if you're into any of that kind of business. I have, like I mentioned before, a podcast Patreon. Again, you can just find it under Sensational She Geek. It is set up for donations to support my podcast. And I'm getting the episodes, um, the Yancey Yancey Street specials are going to always go to patrons at the beginning of a week. And then the episode will go public at the end of the week to make sure that the patrons are getting something out of their investment. Um, you can also find my Kofi cash App, Venmo and PayPal all linked on my link tree, which will appear uh, among other fun things at the bottom of each episode description. So let's go ahead and jump right in to the news. Now I did say this was all going to be rumors, uh, so let's start off with the one that I am least excited about. There was a rumor going around uh, last week that James Gunn may be writing and directing a Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy movie. And my immediate reaction is, oh, please, God, no. <laughs> no, there is there is one um, really, really stellar version of uh, live-action Poison Ivy that we've seen, and that was in the Birds of Prey movie, which was done by women. Um, I got into this argument with someone in the Discord about how they thought that since Harley Quinn was created by straight white men, well, they said, why not have that continue being who writes her? And I have never had my jaw hit the floor so hard having to actually explain to someone in the year of our lord 2122 2100 whatever you know what i mean about proper representation in film and cinema these characters they deserve to be portrayed by someone who is like them not just some hip straight white guy who's edgy the best on-screen harley we've ever seen was again birds of prey and that's without a doubt because that movie was helmed by women having james gunn take charge in a movie about her and ivy's romance starting up would be pretty awful um and a slight step to the left only not even upwards, but to the left of having someone like Joss Whedon or Zack Snyder do it. No bueno. Um, the one thing that you you can take from this as a positive, though, apparently uh, the project that he's going to be working on um, could also be related to Super Pets, which I have Super Pets, which I have to say is actually seems to be a lot more up his alley, James Gunn. So fingers crossed that that's what it is instead. Now, Multiverse of Madness is coming out 
in May. I had to think about that for a second. We got a lot coming this year. It's coming out in beginning of May. Um, and there has just been a lot of, a lot of cameo rumors just floating around. There's been so many of them. I actually had to, um, do a little bit of research to figure out which ones it seems are actual rumors, which ones are pure speculation, uh, which ones, you know, what, what, what seems to be a little bit more legitimate here. Um, it's probably been coming up a lot more recently because they obviously the, the movie's getting closer, but also because their reshoots, they, they're very open that they were doing tons of reshoots for Multiverse of Madness, and they finished doing all of that just yesterday, Monday the 17th. So that's probably why a lot of this stuff is coming back up now. A lot of the questions about who's actually going to be in it, what's in the cameos, what did they add during all of those reshoots. It's all legitimate questions, but the biggest things that I was able to kind of narrow it down to, uh, the, the, the new one, the only new one that we really had going around was that, uh, there is a rumor that John Krasinski has a scene as a variant, so you would say, of Mr. Fantastic. Obviously, John Krasinski is, hmm, I would say has been the front runner of fan favorite Reed Richards castings. Uh, for most of the MCU's existence, um, I, I would I probably would have put myself on on that side of the boat as well. But similar to Magneto and Charles Xavier, I think that the best Reed Richards we may get would be a Reed Richards of color. And if I might direct you to William Jackson Harper who played Chidi on The Good Place. He also was the main character in the recent season of Love Life. Very round actor there. That's a, it's a big drama and it's a big comedy. That's what we need. Um, I, I think he would make a fantastic Reed Richards. Obviously, Kang being a person of color and a descendant of Reed Richards doesn't necessarily mean Reed Richards would be a person of color himself, but I feel like it's just sitting there waiting for them to have that idea and to make that connection. William Jackson Harper, I think, would make a killer Reed Richards. And of course, it is just them saying that this is a variant, apparently, of, um, of Mr. Fantastic. What does that even really mean, though? Because this is all the rumors about how the next Black Panther we're going to get is a variant from another reality. Like, that rumor I do not subscribe to personally. <laughs> um, but why would, why would we see a variant, Mr. Fantastic? What would even be the purpose of that? Um, just to see a Reed Richards who we're not going to end up having BR Reed Richards. I don't know if there would be a point to that. So that's that's one of the big seasons, reasons that I question that particular rumor. Uh, the other characters who are supposed to be showing up, according to all the rumors around the reshoots, uh, Black Bolt, the leader of the Inhumans, was one that was um, going around the internet last week, I want to say. Uh, he is a member of the Illuminati, so that was one that if they are going that direction, that can be, uh, you know, pretty self-explanatory why they'd want him in there. Um, various Fox men, <laughs> by which I mean various characters from the Fox X-Men movies. There have been rumors about everyone from Wolverine to Jennifer Lawrence's uh, mystique. So, uh, I, I, I don't think they're going to go for Jennifer Lawrence. Um, but <laughs> I don't know how I would feel about 
Wolverine making a reappearance. Um, obviously, Hugh Jackman was the greatest Wolverine we could have hoped for. But he finished his role. He was very clear that he was done with it. Um, so I don't know how I'd feel about him coming back knowing then that the only reason he's coming back is because they probably gave him so much money his financial advisor told him it was a dumb decision to say no um that's my theory on why he would be coming back the only reason and then have knowing that it kind of takes away a little bit of the magic um which of course now they're bringing all pulling in supposedly all of these big name actors obviously <laughs> the mouse's hefty pockets are what's making that possible. Um, but you know, just like, just like with making chicken and stuff, you, you don't like being reminded about the slaughter of the animal. <laughs> I don't like being reminded that this is a beast run on capitalism. Uh, but, uh, uh, moving on from that, the other characters that we're going to be supposedly seeing uh, various Defenders, which I would say is backed up by the Defender Strange action figure that we're getting from Hasbro for the movie, and various Illuminati members, which is the one rumor slash speculate speculation um, that has been steady and has been from the very start, we have had this Illuminati rumor. So that if, if I was to pick any of these to be true, that would probably be the one. Now, moving on to a- another Multiverse of Madness rumor. You have obviously heard, if you've listened to this podcast for any amount of time at all, you have definitely heard me talk about Clea. Clea is obviously one of my favorite characters in comics, period. Um, I have read her history forward and backwards and literally studied her character um, for hours. <laughs> Countless hours. But... It's been more or less known that Clea is going to show up in Multiverse of Madness. At this point, if she doesn't show up, I think people are going to have a lot of questions as to why not, <laughs> myself included. Um, well, coming out today, and I genuinely don't know where this rumor came from, but there is a unconfirmed rumor that Clea has been cast as none other than Charlize Theron. Or is it the other way around? Charlize Theron's been cast as Clea. There we go. My cat's having a little freak out if you hear rustling behind me. Um, this was an interesting thing to hear because I did not come anywhere near considering or even thinking about considering Charlize Theron. Obviously, she is a world-class actress. I mean, between Mad Max and Snow White and the Huntsman, Atomic Blonde, The Old Guard... The Italian job, Hancock, she's a world-class actor. She has a very round skill of her acting ability. Um, I don't, I, I, and she's blonde. I'm pretty sure naturally blonde. Hmm. Uh, she's mostly blonde, whether, oh yeah, long shot. That was a good one too. Um, I, I think this would be good even though she's one that I never even thought of considering. Um, again, unconfirmed rumors, um, but this is one I could see her playing very well. I could see her looking very smart against um, our, our MCU Stephen Strange. 
Now, if you are a person who is looking to be real quick about catching up or getting involved in key Clea issues, well, I have bad news for you, friend. Uh, Clea first appeared in the same issue that Dormammu did. That would be Strange Tales 126 by Stanley and Jack Kirby. Um, that thing costs so much money already, it is not even funny. Uh, so what I have done, I have chosen to take the second most integral issue in her character history, the issue where they finally give her a name. <laughs> it was 20 issues. It's 146 when she gets her name. I have that one. Um, it's also the last issue that Stan and Jack both worked on, um both worked on the project together. So it's a really, it's a really good key issue. Um, I think you also get story by, uh, I believe it's Denny O'Neill who also has stories in there. So it's a really good issue. Um, if you're looking to get a key Clea issue, I recommend Strange Tales 146, the issue where she finally tells Steven what her name is. Now, in my last little bit of news here has to do not so much with rumors, but as my own speculation. Um, and this is involving the She-Hulk show and actress Ginger Gonzaga. So last year, Ginger Gonzaga was cast as, quote, She-Hulk's best friend. Now, when this was announced, she said that she was excited, that she tweeted this, she was excited to, quote, get to run amok with Tatiana Maslany. Which makes me think a lot of things. First off, she's definitely not going to be playing Jen's best friend from when we first see her in the comics. Uh, her first appearance is Savage She-Hulk number two. Her name is Jill, and she dies in the same issue. It's actually very tragic, and it, it kind of is drawn out. Um, the guilt of that is drawn out for a good long while in the story and, and through the Savage uh, She-Hulk storyline. Now, on a casting call for uh, this character, the codename for the role was Susie, um, and it made it specific that comedic experience is a must. And again, this is my own speculation. I'm not getting this from anywhere. I'm just kind of thinking around the box. Um, so that little bit about the specified comedic experience being necessary, that makes me think immediately Patsy Walker, who is She-Hulk's modern best friend. Patsy was played by Rachel Taylor on Netflix's Jessica Jones, which I love to forget ever happened because it was horrible. Not the show, the character they made her into. Trish. Ugh. Um, now that the Netflix universe seems to be attached to the main MCU, um, I suppose this takes Patsy off the table. Some time ago, there were rumors that she was being recast, but we've heard a lot of things that have ended up not being true. So I, I'm not, I just don't really know. We could all just ignore that Trish ever happened and we'd be all the better for it. So I think it's definitely a possibility that uh, Ginger Gonzaga has been cast as Patsy Walker, who of course becomes Hellcat. Now, Star Fox um, is, he was on the Avengers when female characters such as Wasp, Captain Marvel, Monica Rambeau version, She-Hulk, Scarlet Witch, Bobby Morse, Tigra, etc. That was the era of heroines who were around in the comics among the Defenders, the West Coast Avengers, and the Avengers when Star Fox was joining in the, the comic world and the team and everything on Earth. Um, 
this is relevant to me because Star Fox has, of course, been cast in Eternals. He's Harry Styles. We have Wasp. Um, we know that there's another Ant-Man in the Wasp movie, Quantumania, coming out next year. We have Monica Rambeau. She's not Captain Marvel, but she is going to be some kind of superpowered being in the Marvels movie. We have She-Hulk. We have Scarlet Witch. I don't really know if we have Bobby Morris. It's kind of difficult to say. We had a version of her very briefly, um, etc. So all of these characters are popping up, which makes me think that she's going to probably be in line with that era of characters, and Tigra definitely falls in there. Additionally, there was a Tigra and Dazzler animated project canceled in 2020. So where, where I'm at with this, for the most part, is between... Tigra and Hellcat, Patsy Walker. Uh, Tigra was on the West Coast Avengers as well as the Avengers. Hellcat was on the Avengers and the Defenders. And the West Coast Avengers and Defenders are both teams that are highly speculated to appear in the MCU sometime soon. So it, it really could go either way. But I'm almost positive that she is one of those two characters. I just lean a little bit more towards Patsy with the comedic experience bit. Now I did have one additional idea here. Now, I apologize for my sniffling. I have a bit of a cold. The character's name uh, for the role is Susie. Um, Jennifer Susan Walters is the full name of Jen Walters. Um, I just had, I was thinking last night trying to figure out what it could be. Um, is it possible that Ginger Gonzaga is playing Jen Walters' invisible friend um this would be stemming from a lot of the immortal hulk stuff that al ewing put into play in the past few years in that series um how bruce banner ultimately had uh hulk personas as his like invisible friends when he was a child it's a very interesting concept it's extremely loose uh loosely what it was but more or less that's what it is um so could it be possible if she's getting to run amok with Tatiana Maslany, she's by her side, she's taken a name that is similar to um, She-Hulk's name in Susie and her middle name being Susan, um, and she's supposed to be She-Hulk's best friend. Which, again, modern times, we'd easily say that's Patsy Walker. Um, but I I would wonder, you know, since her best friend, when we first meet her in the comics, dies pretty much immediately, is it possible she's some kind of invisible friend to Jen? I don't know. I'm just spitballing here. I'm just spitballing here. Let's go ahead and get into the comic book picks. These were comics that came out last week on the 11th and 12th of January, starting off with Death of Doctor Strange uh, Bloodstone. This is a really good issue, in my opinion. I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was by Teeny Howard and Iguara. Uh, some of the some of the once-overs that you need from this is it is about Colin Bloodstone, obviously Elsa Bloodstone, and their new sister, Lyra. So Colin Bloodstone first appeared in Avengers Arena number one by Dennis Hopeless Hallam in 2013, and he has had, if I'm not mistaken, only 28 appearances across Avengers Arena, Avengers Undercover, and 
somewhat recently appearing in an arc of Excalibur, issue 7 and 8, which is a uh, arc that is referenced in this issue. Would, that all makes a lot of sense because this issue's writer, Teeny Howard, was also the writer of Excalibur. This is Liar Bloodstone's first appearance after being shut off in the stars for a thousand years or so. She has a black version of Elsa and Colin's red bloodstones, which she says is called the Null Gem. It was created by their father to give the bloodstones more power and control over the madness that the stones often bring. This would explain why the eldest bloodstone went mad when his children have not, although jury's still out on Colin, in my opinion, on that one. Uh, it comes out that the Null Gem feeds off of magical properties, which is a lot like the villain character Jed McKay made for the Death of Doctor Strange storyline, but moving on. Uh, since Colin is host to a magical alien parasite monster thing, she's able to basically drain it out of him enough for Colin to be in control of the situation again. And you have to know also, while this plot was made possible by Doctor Strange dying, that is because when he died, the magical pact traps and cells of whatnot that he was attached to or whatever they all broke unsealing deals and releasing monsters across the marvel 616 at one point elsa speaks of how pretending to be a member of their family would be the way to get the bloodstone family to trust them and Lyra responds with would it and it's in a panel that has her kind of looking over her shoulder at the viewer um, very sneaky-like. That definitely, definitely should not be ignored. She is going to end up betraying them, for sure. Um, she's definitely got something up her sleeve. So I feel like this can be also be backed up by the question of if Stephen Strange was one of the characters who was keeping her fed, um, along with countless magicians through the years, why did he never say anything about it to Elsa? They've definitely interacted enough, and he had to have known what or who Lyra was. Very notably, the issue ends with Lyra and the other Bloodstones using their connection of the stones to power a war field against wizards, magicians, and other sorcerer and magical types that would send them off to... I'm not sure, but it banishes them, basically. Um, I'm not sure if I fully understood it, but it makes me think how easy it would be for Lyra to get rid of anyone who knows who or what she truly is. The art of the issue was phenomenal by Brazilian artist Ig Guara, and it reminded me a fair amount of mangas where you have distant characters drawn really, really loosely and kind of funny, but when they're up close, they're full of detail and dramatic expression. Aside from that, he does action very, very well, movement and things like that. It's, it's very clear and extremely well done. We Ride Titans number one was by Trace Dean and Sebastian Perez coming from Vault Comics. As far as I can tell, it's ongoing and I dug this. Kit's brother in this is a drunk, which probably, excuse me, which is a problem because he is a Jaeger pilot. Um, he's a Titan pilot. <laughs> Mecca, whatever you want to call it. His family lineage, lineage has always piloted this particular city's titans, though we haven't gotten much backstory as to why kaijus are attacking, where they come from, or anything about how all this has gotten to this point from what otherwise looks like a world just like ours. 
Kit and her wife don't talk to Kit's family, but after a major incident with her brother Dej, the family comes knocking again, hoping she'll take up his pilot and help her brother get back on his feet. I really like this kickoff. Yes, a lot of elements are repeats of things we've seen in other properties, but that's just what happens with these big monster versus human piloted mech stories. I can't hate on it because I'm too much of a sucker for big monster stories, so this is very nice in my book. Rain was number one of five. The story was by Joe Hill, the adaption by David M. Boer, and art by Zoe Thurgood, who I am super enamored with her art style at the moment. It is a story where crystal needles fall from the sky. Uh, 16 people die per second in Boulder, Colorado, where Honeysuckle was moving in with her girlfriend Yolanda. Yolanda and her whole family die as well, like most of the people in the hot summer city. Uh, there was a very touching but crushing line where it starts off with, um, she's saying, I have never loved anybody like I loved Yolanda. And by the end of the issue, it's just, I know that's not true anymore. I never loved anybody like I loved Yolanda isn't true because I've only ever loved Yolanda. And so that was a really crushing way to have that story kind of begin. But I am very much looking forward to seeing the rest of it. It's, it's a bit spooky, a bit feminine. Um, and I am excited to see how it kind of continues after starting off with such a tragedy. Marauders number 27 was the final issue of this run from Gary Duggan and Matteo Loli. We also had Phil Noto on this interior, and I love Phil Noto, so that was all I needed for the cherry on top. Um, in this issue, Emma and Lords get to ride horses and chat. Lords has a master's in business and a law degree, and she is going to take Emma's chair at Hellfire Trading. But when they go to confront Shaw and tell him the news, Lords takes her chance and takes Shaw's seat instead, which he accepts. He says, or rather she says, I'm letting mutantum back into my life but not you, which was a very good line. And since Emma still wants to abdicate her white cream role to, of Hellfire training, she speaks with the five and they agree to take on the role together. Uh, there's a really funny line that I loved. It says, some of us wish to please, other wish to try on your shoes so we might better know how to avoid becoming you. <laughs> I really liked that. Um, there is a joke about how Bishop can't be Blade between the names of Nobody and Blade because Blade. Uh, the ex-Verendi girl gets her face reshaped, but we don't get to see what she looks like now, so she is definitely going to come back and ruin somebody's day. Iceman and Emma's brother, Christian Frost, are taking a vacation in Niflheim so they can fight Frost Giants and test the upper limits of Iceman's powers. How deep into the Fantastic Four's home being a game with a leaderboard and wager slips at the bar with no name, which is the infamous villain bar of the 616, is absolutely hilarious. Frank, um, Phil Noto draws Mr. Fantastic to look like John Krasinski, which I thought was pretty funny. Kate, uh, breaks into and makes a deal with Mr. Fantastic. It breaks into their house. Krakoan, knowledge for helping her... Uh, get through the gates is what the trade they put together is and that is the end of the issue and Marauders is going to kick off with another series in March with Cassandra Nova's return and she says I am here to ruthlessly defend our kind I have grown so bored of bloodless hands sounds a lot like her we had another Marvel's Voices 
issue this week called Heritage, and I really have to point out how the racism of Marvel fans really shows whenever they put these voices specials out. I saw endless, endless complaints that John Greycrow is a featured character in this special because of his history as a brutal killer. In modern comics history, though, Gary Duggan and Jonathan Hickman and other creators have chosen to make Greycrow more than that, and yes, that does include dropping his ill-chosen villain name of Scalp Hunter, but if characters like Magneto, Emma Frost, and even Wanda Maximoff can make amends for their horrendous misdoings, so can John Greycrow. You as a reader don't get to pick and choose which characters are worthy of redemption. Uh, but the stories in this issue were pretty sweet. There was a story about a group of Native heroes showing up and helping out on a reservation, which I really liked the use of Native American lingo there. There's a story about Snowguard, a character who I'm honestly not very familiar with. A really good one about American Eagle getting old and growing out of the superhero game. Uh, and something about the new character River from Echo's Phoenix series. Um, but the, the Captain America of the Kickapoo tribe is... Real bad. Real bad. I just... Uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it doesn't work. I read The Scorch, number one, which comes from Sean Lewis, and it does say, with Todd McFarlane credited for additional dialogue. Um, it... I thought this was gonna be okay. Super cheesy, um, and full of cliches in how the stories explain the dialogue, Definitely had a once-over from Todd, because he can't write for shit, and Sean Lewis is a great lighter. This was Todd's doing. <laughs> um, no, it was not good. Several panels of She Spawn also were positioned just so, um, you know, to get people's blood pumping, which is why. Uh, I just ended up skimming the second half, because the first half was so painfully cheesy. Helsonia number one, I kind of skimmed. Uh, it seems that she is getting together a team called Helsonia, a team of Sonias that she's gathering. Cool uh, concept. Honestly, doesn't really work out too well for me. This was from Christopher Hastings, who did the previous um, Soniaversal series, but this one, I don't know. It's not doing it for me. Devil's Reign number two actually came out a few weeks ago, but I finally read it. Um, so basically when Tony tries to level with common folk, he goes for money. Um, when Luke does it, he is straight up and is able to actually level with them and connect. So it's decided that Luke is actually going to be the one running against Fisk now, not Tony. Sue and Reed beating the shit out of fellow prisoners with power dampeners on was something I did not know I needed in my life. Fisk has the purple man captive and is keeping his thumb in his cane so that he can use his power himself. That is wild. Super evil, but I like it. <laughs> uh, the other heroes point out that Tony running against Fisk is not going to be a really good look. Rich dude against rich dude. They decide Luke is going to run. Like I said, that's genius. It's actually what the city needs. Tony gets butthurt because he's Tony. The Superior Four make their appearance, and that is Doc Ock, Logan Ock, Hulk Ock, and Ghost Rider Ock. Woman Without Fear number one also came from Chip Sarsky. There was a really sweet scene between Elektra and Matt. Ooh. 
And then we have flashbacks of her training as a child with Stick. We meet the character Akka of the Hand, who trained her after Stick. And then in modern times, Craven arrives at the end to give her troubles as well. Dark Ages number four, we have Storm and Black Panther revealed they got back together and had a kid. Pepper Potts is a massive, rumbling, steam-powered Iron Man. Uh, the ship to Europe gets attacked by Ghost Riders, and Nick Fury gets killed. And finally, Fing Fang Foom and Scott Lang are revealed to be the guardians of the Portugal port. And last, we have Spider-Woman number 18, where Veronica is back. She is the scroll queen who pretended to be Spider-Woman for a good long time. So it makes a lot of sense um, that she is popping back up in the Marvel comics because she is expected to be the main villain in the Marvel's movie, played by Zawe Ashton. As for the comic book polls, things coming out this week. For DC Comics, they're already out today the 18th. For everything else, they'll be out tomorrow the 19th. Starting off with Batman the Night, number one of ten. This is going to be Chip Zartsky once again with Carmine D. Giandomenico. Giandomenico. Ooh, I think I actually did that right. What it says about it is the origin of Batman and his never-ending fight against crime in Gotham City is modern mythology. But what about the story in between? How did an angry, damaged young man grow into the most accomplished detective and crime fighter the world has ever known? How did the Dark Knight begin? Valero number one comes from Image Comics. It is an ongoing series from Wyatt Kennedy and Luana Vecchio. It says, a woman running away from a broken heart discovers a mother key into a parallel universe. The rules are, the key can work on any door. The mother will only let you visit 53 universes. Do not ask to speak to the mother. Never hop more than 53 times. Sounds really interesting. Now, Cowboy Bebop was on my list, but it got pushed back another week. So we'll move on to She-Hulk number one. My most excited, uh, issue I'm most excited for this week is going to be from Rainbow Roll and Rohe Antonio. What it says about this series, and again, I'm only going to be reading the solicitations for the number ones that we have coming this week. The rest I'll kind of skim through a lot faster. What it says, though, about She-Hulk. The best character ever is back in her own series and about to glam up the whole Marvel Universe. Jennifer Walters, aka the sensational She-Hulk, is no longer savage and needs to put her life back together. She's got a career to rebuild, friends to reconnect with and maybe represent in a court of law, and enemies to... Well, she may not want to connect with them, but they are definitely going to connect with her. And the last page of this first issue is going to send Jen down a road she's never traveled that will shake up her life and possibly the whole Marvel Universe. I am doing a She-Hulk prep podcast. I'm going to be recording that on Friday. Um, that is more for the She-Hulk show than the series that we're getting here starting tomorrow. Um, but I definitely think that there's going to be some connections between the two. So we'll just have to wait and see how that goes. Silk number one is another Silk series from Emily Kim and Takeshi Miyazawa. Silk is back. Cindy Moon returns as the web-swinging, web-spinning spider hero Silk in an all-new all-star series. As Silk gains popularity in the public eye, Cindy is questioning her place in the world. But existentialism will have to wait when a powerful new villain is turned loose. In a race against the clock, Silk discovers the dangers of ancient Korean magic and social media. Don't miss the comic's debut of story stunning storyteller Emily Kim and the return of legendary comic artist Takeshi Miyazawa. 
Devil's Reign X-Men number one is of three. It was by Jerry Duggan with art by the ever-fantastic Phil Noto, one of my absolute favorite interior artists. The Queen's Reign. Emma Frost has many skeletons in her closet, but only one of them is currently mayor of New York City. The truth about the White Queen's secret past with the Kingpin of Crime comes to light. As Wilson Fisk makes his play, will his old ally, Emma Frost, stand out his way or protect the secrets they share? Now we have Animal Castle number two is coming out. There's going to be at least three issues. It's by Xavier Dorison and Felix Delep. Um, and this is coming from Ablaze. My Date with Monsters number three from Paul Tobin and Andy McDonald. Coming from Aftershock is one a really good solid indie series that I strongly recommend. Wonder Woman Evolution number three of eight comes out this week from Stephanie Phillips and Mike Hawthorne and Adriana Adriano Di Benedetto. Ben, Benedetto. Sorry. Nubia and the Amazons, number four of six by Stephanie Williams and Vida Ayala with art by Aletha Martinez. We have Mirka Andolfo's Sweet Paprika, number seven of 12 by Mirka Andolfo, of course, coming from Image. Supergirl, Woman Up Tomorrow, number seven of eight, wrapping things up there from Tom King and Bill Chris Evely. Eternals, number nine by Kieran Gillen and Asad Ribic. Homesick Pilots, number 11, from Image, by Dan Waters and Kaspar Wingard. This is a new story arc. And finally, Catwoman, number 39, kicks off a new story arc and a new creative team with Teeny Howard and Nico Leon. It's time to talk the Book of Boba Fett. This is episode 3, The Streets of Mos Espa. This episode was not possibly as exciting as some of the other ones, but it did have a good amount of material to dig into. This episode also had a lot more fan critiques than the last two, uh, but I think there are genuine defenses to the points that can be... There are genuine defense points that can easily back up the various creative decisions. For example, lots of fans were made upset by the fact that we spent two episodes getting to know this tribe of Tuscans who in this third episode are entirely slaughtered while Boba is out, called out of the village. Some fans were saying that this was a waste of our time and a waste of those characters. Now, this is an interesting critique because while getting mad at the showrunners is not the right response, this is still true. It is a waste that the Tuscans were all slaughtered without a chance of hope. It is a waste that their stories won't be able to be told past this point. It is horrifyingly tragic. It should be lighting a fire under your ass. Because that scene was an example of things that happen in our own world, that have happened to indigenous people across the world. Ever seen the movie Hidalgo? There's a gut-wrenching scene where the main character brings military orders to an outpost at what no doubt later became a Native American reservation. He learns too late what the orders were for. Kill all the natives, no survivors. And he's left there, witnessing the aftermath of the slaughter. Essentially, in the Book of Boba, that's what they portrayed in the scene with the desk of the Tuscans. Tamora Morrison also had a few things to say about the scenes. He said, The Tuscans' portrayal was better than it was in the films. When I read in the script that we were, going, we were throwing dead bodies just on the fire, and I was going, Oh, hang on. We got to put a bit of ceremony into this. They were... 
They are the indigenous of the sands of Tatooine, and I was creating a little bit more history about their own culture, and I was pulling from my culture in a way, in terms of the ceremonies and preparing the warrior and preparing a weapon. And Boba has never experienced a real family before, and the young Tuscans and the old Tuscans, and protecting their land. So that's where the more meaningful moments of Boba burning their bodies came from, just adding to the meaningfulness of the Tuscans in the show so far. We get Black Kersantin attacking Boba while he dreams in the back tank. Remember, he is the black-furred Wookiee who works as a bounty hunter for the Hut twins. He's obviously been sent now by the Hut twins, who, when they themselves arrive uh, for their mercenary, he has been captured. Like any good mercenary runners who just lost a man in battle, they decide to leave him with Boba to do with as he wishes, but Boba chooses to free him. I do hope that we see him again soon for sure, and the fact, um, I, I think I'd actually be pretty surprised if we didn't. And then we have a Rancor. A Rancor is gifted to Boba from the twins, along with its keeper, Danny Trejo. I'm not kidding, it's Danny Trejo in Star Wars. <laughs> Didn't see that coming, but holy shit, it's hilarious. I love it. Uh, the history, this was something that was mentioned um, by Danny Trejo's character, the history that the Rancors have with the witches of Dathomir. He says, it is said that the witches of Dathomir even rode them through the forest and fens. The witches of Dathomir were made canon in the Clone Wars, but there is so much more story material in the Star Wars Legends books, specifically the book called The Courtship of Princess Leia, which I believe came out in 1994. On Dathomir in the books, there are multiple tribes of witches who wield both the Force-like magic as well as this planet's own green magical icor, and the side of them that uses the planet's massive dark energy call themselves the Night Sisters. The planet actually sits under a red sun, bathing it in dark force energy. Of course, in the Clone Wars, it would seem that they made them canon so that the Night Sisters are the only tribe of witches on Dathomir. Still, they are extremely powerful, able to even use necromancy to have their own dead fight for them. Their gods are the Winged Goddess, representing life and fertility, and the Fanged God, representing death and the hunt. In the legends, a, a Jedi Knight named Aliyah was exiled on a then-penal colony planet of Dathomir after she fell to the seduction of the dark side of the Force. She had hoped that her time in the vast wilderness would help her reflect on her Jedi Master's teachings and therefore return to the light side of the Force. Instead, she found that she could use the dark side to tame the planet's native rancors, allowing her to use them in her conquest of Dathomir. She then established a strongly matriarchal society and subjugated the male inhabitants of the planet to one area. She went on to have many daughters, who she also trained in the ways of the Force. We have no way to know if that's how it went down in the main canon based on what we saw in Clone Wars. There was very little information on their foundings, so who knows if we'll ever get that expanded upon. We do know that Aaliyah was a character in canon, but there's not a whole lot of details other than that. The witches of Dathomir are all female. The male population of the planet are simply called uh, the Dathomari or Dathomarians, uh, and they are what Darth Maul came from. The males of the planet have more colorful skin and horns, while the females are much more pale. 
The leader of the knights, his sister's mother, Talzin, actually trained Arsidius for a time before he stole away her son, Maul, and we all know how that goes. The last time we saw them, most of the knight sisters were wiped out, with the exceptions of Asajj Ventress, Marin, and a few small splinter clans. Mother Talzin herself escaped into the spirit world, but later sacrificed her physical body to restore Maul's mind and body after he was defeated by Obi-Wan, kicking off part two of his very long, twisted story. I would bet that if we see the Witches of Dathomir in these live-action Star Wars shows, it'll be on the Ahsoka show or the Obi-Wan one, because they're characters who have already interacted with the Witches of Dathomir. And as that sequence with the Rancor comes to an end, Boba learns of the witches and decides that he's going to write it as well. And apparently that is a reference that he makes there. He's written bigger creatures than this. It's apparently a reference to the Christmas special, which is the first time we ever see Boba on film. Another thing that certain people did not like from this episode were the bikers. They're a gang of humans who modified themselves with droid parts, so it's hard to see them as anything other than a Star Wars hipster millennials. They've been stealing the water because the broker grossly overcharged for it, and they can't get a legitimate job to buy what they need. Boba decides they can all work for him, forces the broker to take less than half of what he's owed as compensation, and threatens him into cutting his prices. And I saw this funny article that said, Boba Fett, anti-capitalist. Hell yeah, dude, I want a shirt that says that. And finally, um, in the show, we see the lady mechanic. I did not get her name, but the curly-haired mechanic from season one of Mandalorian walks through the background of one scene with her support droids. It's a really cool little Easter egg to find there. Um, and that's what I have for the episode. It was a episode that rested a lot on the Rancor, uh, the bikers, and the really getting Boba and the bikers to be on the same page. And it does seem that, that that's going to be a positive relationship. Um, he can teach them some things and they can teach him some things as well. Finally, let's go ahead and discuss the Moon Knight trailer. It premiered yesterday with the Monday Night Football at 5.15pm. Well, the game started at 5.15, but it was closer to 7 when we finally got the trailer online. The show is beginning on March 30th with six episodes, which makes it finishing on May 4th if we get one per week happens to be the day before Multiverse of Madness premieres. I think that leaves plenty of time for She-Hulk to premiere in June, as would be my guess, as their big summer blockbuster hit show. I have already done a pretty big write-up on Moon Knight and Mark Spector already, which can be found on my podcast episode 41A. If you want to get all the details on his comic history, I definitely recommend you go um, find that segment. Based on this trailer, it looks and sounds like Oscar Isaac will be portraying, or at least start off portraying, the Stephen Grant personality as opposed to the Mark Spector one, the third personality traditionally being Jake Lockley. In the comics, Grant was actually a real person who Mark knew as a child and adopted the personality and identity of later in life. Lockley was the persona that had him sent to a psych ward and then enlisted him in the military. 
Ethan Hawke's character, of course being the villain, has been revealed to be named Arthur Harrow, who is an obscure villain from the second Moon Knight series. In the comics, he has a chronic pain disorder that may be translated to his use of a cane in the movie, as we see in the trailer. He's very clearly some kind of cult leader. In the comics, he works with the concept of pain his whole life, so I wonder if he's promised them some kind of salvation of their health. Different things that we see in the trailer of Note include, um, it seems that he is part of a sleep study of some sort meant to keep him awake that involves him chaining himself to the bed, putting sand around the bed to see if he's crossed over it yet, um, and various other protective measures to try and differentiate awake from asleep. We see that he, uh, he, he is in an elevator, he sees a figure down the hallway, that figure is Khonshu, fun fact, uh, with the, the beak and the nose and um, all of that stuff. And it's very possible that the elderly lady who it kind of turns into is still Khonshu in disguise. Khonshu is known for kind of taking up um, different forms like that. But the one that we see in the hallway uh, when the light flashes on him where he's got the beak, that is Khonshu. We get a woman named Layla who calls him and calls him Mark. Uh, she is likely uh, Mark's love interest whose name escapes me at the moment. And when he is punching a person of some sort in the bathroom scene dressed as Moon Knight, that is Anubis. He is punching Anubis. Uh, which brings me to what Disney has to say about the series. It says, the series tells the story of Oscar Isaac's Stephen Grant, a man who becomes plagued with blackouts of memories from another life. Stephen discovers he has dissociative identity disorder and shares a body with mercenary Mark Spector. As Stephen slash Mark's enemies converge upon them, they must navigate upon they must navigate navigate their complex identities while thrust into a deadly mystery among the powerful gods of Egypt. That's very interesting. A mystery among the gods of Egypt really piques my interest. They've done bits and pieces of that in the comics, Marvel comics here and there. But to be honest, ancient, ancient Egyptian history and mythology was my first major hobby. So part of me is really, really hoping that they pull out all the stops and just blow minds of how much they're going to add it to the show. That would be phenomenal. But then, but then I remember, then you remember Gods of Egypt, which was the 2016 movie that had Gerard Butler, Nikolai Coster Waldo, Brenton Thwaites, who is the guy who plays Nightwing, and like just, just a bunch of white people. Jeffrey Rush, like, come on. How many white people are you going to cast playing Egyptian gods? Come on. Come on. So basically what I'm saying is hopefully that doesn't happen. <laughs> um, I, I hope I hope Marvel has learned and movie studios in general have learned Gods of Egypt was trash. If they had cast different actors, probably would have been okay. It was trash. Um, but that part... Uh, the, the, uh, the deadly mystery among the powerful gods of Egypt, that part there isn't necessarily something that we see regularly in Moon Knight's mythology. He has a lot going on that's involving the mythology, but it's not necessarily inter-god relationships. Um, and so if that is exactly what they mean, I am very interested to find out... Um, 
what they're kind of kind of do with that are we going to see obviously we're going to see anubis we see him in the trailer we obviously see um conchu in the trailer i wouldn't be surprised if we saw Ra. um there is a character who is uh the avatar of Ra, kind of like moon knight is the avatar of conchu his name is the sun king um it's there's there's a lot of speculation that he's either um, this Harrow character that Ethan Hawke is playing could be somehow related to the Sun King or to Ra in some way. Um, there's a, there's just a lot of different possibilities. Um, and it gets me really excited to hear that they are planning on putting a lot more of the Egyptian God stuff in there because that's my original shit. <laughs> And that wraps up this week's episode. It's a bit of a short one. I apologize if you were hoping for more. Um, but you can come Friday if you're not one of my patrons. Uh, you can have you can view the or hear the end of the year 2021 best in comics wrap up. Um, and then the She-Hulk, the She-Hulk um, podcast will be. It'll be finished by Friday, and then I'll be posting it probably next week. So you'll get the first issue of She-Hulk tomorrow, and you can reference, um, you can go, go back to it and reference it when that episode comes out. Otherwise, the next weekly episode is going to be coming out next Monday, as usual, on the 24th. <sighs> Already almost through with January. The sun is staying up later, but getting up later as well. So use the daylight hours the best that you can. Um, remember, you do need vitamin D to live. <laughs> so try and get a little bit of sunlight, but remember to wear sunscreen even in the winter. Because um, health. And get sweaty about your hobbies. Be that, you know, comics or... Egyptian gods and history, <laughs> whatever, whatever your passion may be, get sweaty about it this week and I'll be back next week. Peace.